Good morning, Maple Grove. Everybody have enough caffeine today? All right, good stuff. Okay, this morning, uh, Labor Day Sunday 2018, I want to uh, unpack a, a really simple truth that your work matters. Uh, now, Labor Day is a holiday that's been celebrated in our country uh, since late in the 19th century. First in a parade in New York City in 1894. However, it did not become a, a federal holiday until Grover Cleveland in 1894 passed a law um, celebrating Labor Day. Now, here's what it says on the uh, Labor Department website. I go to that all the time. Do you guys? It's great. Great reading there. Here's what they say about Labor Day. Uh, Labor Day's of, uh, first Monday in September is a creation of the labor movement and is dedicated to the social and economic achievements of American workers. It constitutes a yearly national tribute to the contributions workers have made to the strength, prosperity, and well-being of our country. And for many people, Labor Day means many different things. A day off and a three-day weekend, right? We like that, right? Uh, the last holiday, right, until Thanksgiving. Um, the end of summer. The end of wearing white, apparently, right? No, no white after Labor Day. Uh, the end of the hot dog eating season. You know, there actually is one. According to the National Hot Dog and Sausage Council, the season runs from Memorial Day to Labor Day, and during that time, Americans eat 7 billion hot dogs. That's 818 hot dogs every second. Wow. Some of it means the start of the school year, right? Many places, not here in Virginia, unless you get a... Unless you got a waiver, right? Because many years ago, they passed the King's Dominion Law um, because King's Dominion wanted to take advantage of the last holiday and said that you can't start school until after Labor Day unless your uh, school district gets a waiver, right? So obviously, we have a waiver. Uh, it, it means uh, taking advantage of all the sales out there where they promise you that you will save money by spending money, right? And that never made sense. Or time to travel, visit family, take that last vacation, 35 million people will travel by car this weekend. 16.5 million people will travel by air. That's 52 million people will be traveling this weekend. Again, the title for today's message is uh, Your Work Matters, hashtag, so live extreme in your work. Uh, here's a definition of the word extreme. Existing in a very high degree, going to great lengths, exceeding the ordinary, the usual, or the or the expected. Uh, check out these words that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. Philippians 1, verse 27. Above all else, you must live in a way that brings honor to the good news about Jesus. Then whether I visit you or not, I will hear that all of you think alike. I will know that you are working together and that you're struggling side by side to get others to believe the good news. You know, if I... And I think of Paul here today, I think he would really like the word extreme. And, and, and I think he maybe would word it this way. Above else, you must live extreme. You must exceed the usual, the ordinary, and the expected in all areas of your life in order to bring praise and honor to Jesus Christ and his gospel. And not only that, you must go to great lengths to, to work together side by side so that people will be blown away by how you live. Believe the good news and turn to God for salvation and new life. Uh, Maple Grove, we, 
We serve and follow an extreme God who sent his extreme son to die an extreme death. So it should not surprise us that he calls you and I to live extreme lives, to exceed the ordinary, the usual, and the expected. And listen, one of the key areas that that God calls us to live extreme is in our work. Understand, what you do 40 plus hours every week, whether in the home, the classroom, or in the workforce, matters. Your work matters. Let's hit the pause button for a second. Now, students, when I talk about work, these principles apply to school. In a way, your teacher is your boss. Other students are your coworkers. Unpause. Question. Do you feel that what you do during the week matters? Man, it, it, it's so important that you do. Because when you feel that your work matters, you will have a sense of dignity about your work, no matter what that work is. You will have a sense of, of, of destiny and purpose, and you will have an inner motivation to be distinctive, to excel, to rise above mediocrity, to, to exceed the ordinary, usual, and expected. On the other hand, if you don't feel like your work matters, you have no motivation to be distinctive, you have no sense of purpose, and as a result, you'll find it much easier to, to make compromise in your work during the week. Hey, it doesn't really matter if I come in late or if I work hard. <laughs> it's only a job, and they should be paying me a lot more than they are anyway. Yesterday, Labor Day 2018, I, I want to unpack two reasons why your work, what you do, 40-plus hours every week matters. And my my goal is really simple. I want to convince you of that and then send you out to your workplace with renewed vigor, passion, and purpose. But before we do, I need to do a brief commercial and then pray us into this study. Next week, we begin a a four-week series called Words Have Power. And here's the theme verse for that series. The tongue has the power of life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit, right? We eat our words, don't we? So make them good, right? All right, on count of three, and I'll try to actually say three this time. On the count of three, do we go after three or do we go on three, right? I don't know. Okay, we'll go after three. We'll say this together. One, two, three. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Now, if that verse is true, and it is, if it's true that the, the tongue has the power of life and death, and then I'm thinking that we all should lean in beginning next week. Understand the tongue, we all have one. The tongue, we all use it by speaking, by texting, by emailing, by tweeting, by posting, by note, note writing. And, and our words, your words, either create life for people or they create death for people. Now raise your hand, wait till I finish, raise your hand if you think that you and those who actually receive your words during the week could benefit from a series like this. Just raise your hand, do you think they could possibly benefit? I got to raise two hands and one foot. I raise two feet, I fall down and it gets kind of crazy, right? All right, let's pray. Uh, Father God, what an honor, privilege to be in your presence. As we sang this morning, God, Lord, we need you. Every hour, every moment, every second, we need you. 
And we need you right now, God, to fill this place with your presence, God, to open up our hearts and minds so that we lean in and that we're alive and active to your truth so your truth penetrates and it produces fruit in us that goes out into the world and makes a difference for you. And God, I pray for those today, God, maybe who who are really hating their job right now. (laughs) They're dreading Monday or Tuesday morning this week. And, And God, I pray you would speak to them, Lord, and they'll leave this place, God, renewed and refreshed and with a passion for where you've placed them at this particular time. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, two reasons why your work matter. Number one, because God is a worker. God is a worker. Uh, listen, from the opening pages of God's word, it's obvious that our God is a worker, that he's a God who's busy, a God who's constantly on the move. The psalmist writes in Psalm 121, verse 3, he watches over you, will not slumber, Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Always on the move. In the beginning, God created everything. The heavens and the earth, the sky, stars, mountains, land, trees, oceans, rivers, the moon, fish, birds, animals, man, etc., etc., etc. None of what we see, and even what we can't see, existed And then our God simply spoke, and it all came into being. Think about that for a moment. Seriously, think about that. What a mighty, powerful, indescribable God we serve. Like the psalmist says in Psalm 145, no one can measure his greatness. Amen? I mean, we serve a great and powerful God. In Genesis 2, 2, we read the following. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating he had done. Our God is a worker. And David writes in Psalm 19, verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Don't you love sunrises and sunsets? Psalm 104. How many are your works, O Lord, in wisdom you make them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Psalm 111 too. Great are the works of the Lord. They are pondered by all who delight in them. Our God is a worker. And according to Genesis chapter 1, 26 and 27, we are made in God's very own image. Therefore, we are what? We are created to be workers. That's why God, immediately after creating Adam, he put Adam in the garden. And we read in Genesis 2, verse 15, the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to what? To work and take care of it. And, and, And when God wore flesh and walked this planet, he was a worker. Understand, until... Age 30, Jesus' hands were, were, were calloused and dirty as he worked with his dad in the carpenter shop. And, and then in, in John chapter 5, we read how Jesus worked not only like his earthly father, but he worked also like his heavenly father. Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. John 4, 34, my food said Jesus is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. God, God, is, God is a worker. Now, before we move on to the next point, I, I want to talk about 
the work ethic of God the Father and God the Son that we see in the passages we just looked at, all right? Number one, they, they did what? They finished their work. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. John 4, 34, my food said, Jesus is to do the will of him who sent me and to what? To finish his work. God the Father and God the Son both finished their work. Listen, there, there are no cars on the blocks and jobs half done for our God. Instead, they completed their work. They followed through. They didn't quit. Uh, they didn't walk away and, and, and leaving undone what they started. And listen, that is a great work ethic for you and I to live out, right? Both in our workplace and even in the church, right? I mean, when you have a job to do, you what? You finish it, right? You complete it. You don't walk away from the job until that job is finished. Get it? Good. Another thing we learned about their work ethic is they rested. God rested on the seventh day, and he modeled for us the need that we have for regular periods of rest. The father rested, and, and so did the son. Do you think Jesus was kind of busy? <laughs> Absolutely. I, I mean, he had about three years to get a whole lot done. And that's why his day planner was constantly jam-packed. His emails and texts and tweets and inboxes were always overflowing. There was always something to do, always things that needed to be done, yet Scripture says this in Mark chapter 6. And because so many people were coming and going, they didn't even have a chance to eat. Ever been that busy? Right? You're like, whoa, it's, we guess we're having dinner. <laughs> Forget about lunch or breakfast. It's dinner time. And then he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And, and maybe God needs to say that to some people in this room, Right? Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Are there any work addicts out there? It's easy to trap to fall into, right? One more even at the office, one more hour before we go home, one more shift of overtime, one more load of laundry, one more phone call to make, one more email to send or respond to, one more project. It, it can get to the point where we even feel guilty, right, if we relax or we even Forget how to relax. Uh, understand, when we burn the candles at both ends, we are not as bright as we think we are. God says, I want you to rest. And David, another pretty busy guy, put it this way in Psalm 23, verse 2. He makes me lie down, right? The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down. You see, sheep are not very smart, and they don't... They don't know, they're not smart enough to know that when you're tired, you should lay down and get some rest. So the shepherd has to make them rest. And listen, if we're not smart enough to get rest and take time off, our body will make sure that we do. Understand, God has wired your body in such a way that if you do not take time off, your body will make time off. Anybody want to give a testimony to that? Listen, if we just keep working and working and working and working, we're going to get sick because God has wired us up to obey his commands. Here's something else that you want. You know, getting enough rest is essential to overcoming stress. 
And here's the deal. For some of you, the most obedient thing you could do today is to go home and take a N-A-P. Take a nap, right? Or figure out when this week you're going to take some real time off. Write this down. My best requires rest. See, we may think we are, but we're not wasting time when we're resting. Your work matters to God because God is a worker. And the second reason your work matters to God, and it's the, it's the heart of our conversation this morning, is because your work is ground zero for living extreme and displaying his glory. You see, work is one of the central places where a life changed by Jesus intersects with the world. Check out these statistics. From age 18 to 65, you will spend 94,000 hours at work, assuming two weeks vacation per year. And in those same years, you'll spend about 3,600 hours at church if you are there every Sunday. That's 26 times more days you're going to spend at work than you do in here. And, and, and students, each year you spend 156 hours in church. If you go to youth group on Wednesday nights, we got a really good one. You should check it out. And 1,440 hours at school. A little less now because you got, you got, what, eight days in, right? Bottom line, your work, what you do from Monday through Friday is ground zero for living extreme and displaying God's glory. Get it? Good. Now there's uh, four things I want to talk about under this, this, this main point, uh, work is ground zero. I want to talk about the principle, the power, the practice, and the purpose. Uh, we, we like the same letters. We're not very smart as preachers, so the same letters help us out. And, and there's, a, there, there's an Old Testament guy that's going to be a case study for us in living out each of these principles. But before we do that, since we're talking about you know, exceeding the usual um, and the expected, I thought it'd be a good idea to talk about what is ordinary, usual, and expected in the workplace. We want to exceed that, but what is normal in the workplace? What's usual? Well, it's usual for workers to show up late, to not call in when they're sick, to not give two weeks' notice, or if they do work those two weeks, they're not really working, they're just riding it out. It's normal and usual for workers to complain and grumble and have a bad attitude. It's normal for them not to work as hard when the boss isn't around. Unless there's a video camera, you got to work all the time then, right? It's normal and usual to work six hours, but to log in eight hours. It's usual, normal, and ordinary for workers to chew up all kinds of work time with small talk with other employees. It's usual and ordinary for them to not tell the truth and to, to make excuses. Now, just in case your, your boss catches you, asleep, catches you asleep this week at your desk, here's some excuses you can use, right? They told me at the blood bank this was going to happen. <laughs> I, I was testing my keyboard for drool resistance, right? <laughs> Boy, that cold medicine, it just won't wear off. I wasn't sleeping. I was trying to pick up my contact lens without my hands. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, that's a taste of the ordinary and the usual. Now let's move on to the principle for living extreme, which is the Lord is your ultimate boss. 
It wasn't the job that he wanted. It wasn't the job that his family had planned for him. The environment was difficult. The location was far away from his home and his loved ones. And the people he worked with were difficult. They didn't believe what he believed. They worshiped false gods. They lived different lives. They had different priorities and values. And besides all that, this wasn't exactly a career move that he had volunteered for. You see, when Daniel was just a teenager, he was taken captive by the Babylonians. And since he was both good-looking and smart, a curse I too have to live with every day, and it's hard. (laughs) Why are you laughing? (laughs) Uh, He was put into an intense training program. And Daniel chose to excel in in that program and everything else that he did. He interpreted many of King Nebuchadnezzar's dreams that no one else could interpret. The king was impressed by Daniel that he, he, he made him uh, ruler of the entire province of Babylon. He put him over all of the, the other wise men. And then some years later, he had to make another involuntary career change. As the Persians come in and, and they conquer Babylon, and it was a very hostile takeover. And when Darius I set up his new kingdom, Daniel was given a job as one of his administrators. He was about 80 years old at the time, all right? Um, we know that by knowing when, Jerusalem, when he was taken captive in the reign of the Babylonian and the Persian kings, about 80 years old. Let's pick up a reading of Daniel chapter 6, verse 3. Again, he's one, he, once again, he's a job that he didn't want it and a place he didn't want to be. Maybe you're there right now. And, and what's he going to do? Is he going to whine and complain or is he going to rise to the challenge? Uh, Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and princes. Uh, Because of his great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Then the other administrators and princes began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling his affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize. He was faithful and honest and always responsible. No, it, it was not the job he wanted. The location, the environment... We're not the company that he would have chosen. And he had every reason, right? He's a captive to do the ordinary, the usual, and the expected. He was a captive, but instead, Scripture says that Daniel proved himself capable, that he used his great ability, that he was faithful and honest, and that he was always responsible. That's what I call living extreme in your work. Now, his co-workers didn't like him. I mean, they hated him. They were threatened by him. They wanted him dead. And since they could not find any dirt on him whatsoever, verse 5, it says, so they concluded our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the requirements of his religion. And that's exactly what they did. You see, they knew that Daniel prayed three times every day, kneeling by his window. And so they tricked King Darius into issuing a decree that anyone who prayed, that anyone except Darius for the next 30 days would be thrown to the lions. And Darius issues a decree. And then we read in verse 10. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he made a bunch of signs and led a protest march. No, that's not what he did. When Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room With his windows open towards Jerusalem, he prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. The officials went together to Daniel's house and found them praying and asking for God's help. And they pulled out their iPhones, 
and they immediately took a video and they uploaded that video to YouTube and it went viral. So they went back to the king and reminded him about the law. Like, hey, your majesty, didn't you make this law that you can't pray to anybody but you because you're so awesome and incredible. We love you so much. And, and well, yes, I did. Well, well, Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, that's how much I hate him. That's how they refer to him. He's high official. One of your captives is praying to his God. And, and scripture says that Darius became so angry with himself and he spent the rest of the day. How do I get Daniel out of this predicament? And he couldn't find a loophole. And verse 16 says, So at last the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to him, May your God, whom you worship, continually rescue you. A stone was brought in place over the mouth of the den. The king sealed the stone with his royal seal and the seals of his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel from the lions. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep at all that night. Very early in the morning, the king hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you worship continually able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, long live the king. My God sent his angels to shut the lion's mouth so that they wouldn't hurt me. For I have been found innocent in the sight, and I have not wronged you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Now, did you catch what the, the king said to Daniel as he was lifting him up when he went to check on him? Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you worship continually able to rescue you from the lion? That's so awesome. And it makes me wonder, how, how did he know that? How do you know that, hey, Daniel, you're a servant of the living God and you worship your God continually? How? Because Daniel lived extreme in his work. Because his faith was honest, always responsible, capable in all things. Listen, I'm convinced that if Daniel was a slacker, right? If he was a slacker at work, this story would have been totally different. You know what? I'm sure there are a bunch of other employees in Persia that said to him, Daniel, you're in exile. This isn't your country. (laughs) You know? The king doesn't believe the way you believe. So why are you working so hard? Why do you care so much? Because I'm really serving my God. I'm doing my best for him. He's my boss. He's the one I look to please as I work in Persia. Right? We all have a Persia, right? I understand Daniel was a living embodiment of what Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. And here he's talking specifically about the, the slave and master relationship, but we know that that underlying principle applies also to the employee, employer relationship and I would say the student and teacher relationship. You slaves must obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you, not just when the regional manager comes in for an inspection, right? All right, we got everything got to be clean today and the rest... Why well, didn't it have to be cleaned yesterday, right? Oh, it should be cleaned all the time. If it needs to be cleaned when the boss is there, I would think. Obey them willingly because of your reverent fear for the Lord. Work hard and cheerfully at whatever you do as though you're working for the Lord rather than for people. And, and I get it. I, I, I feel you. I mean, when you go to work this week, like Daniel, you may feel like you are, you're a captive in Persia. 
You don't want to be there? The job, the location, and the environment is not what you have chosen. There's a million places that you would rather be. However, the fact is you are working where you are, and as long as you are there, right, you must not forget who you are working for. Are you tracking with me? You know, I think it would be a really good idea for, you know, to, to take Colossians 3.23 and commit it to memory. And, and store that verse in our hearts and to, uh, to say that verse as we're walking in the door or driving into the parking lot where we're going to work this week. Work hard and cheerfully at whatever you do as though working for the Lord rather than for people. Man, you don't want to be there, you hate to be there, and you tell yourself, work hard and cheerfully at whatever you do as though you're working for the Lord rather than for people. Well, that's the principle for living extreme and for displaying God's glory. Next, the power. The power for doing this, right? That, that seems kind of hard. The power is connection. Remember what Daniel did once he learned about this law that Darius just signed? But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in the upstairs room with its windows open towards Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. He knelt down as usual. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. You see, Daniel had this connection with God. And, and and in difficult times, he, he may still maintain that connection to God, you know, giving thanks to God. And listen, without this connection, I'm convinced it'd be totally different. Daniel could not do this on his own. He didn't do this on his own. It's impossible. We cannot live the life that God wants us to live on our own, right? We got the Holy Spirit, right? He's there to help us. Jesus said to his guys the night of his arrest, right, guys who are about to have, you know, probably the no, not probably, the greatest work of all time, taking the gospel to the world, said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Here's a picture right there. Um, several weeks ago, um, a, a tree fell across Prophet Road, Right? and uh, broke up, stopped traffic, and all that. I went out yesterday and took a picture. And, and you can see, you know, you can see, if you look right above, you know, right there, you can see, like, where it fell from, right? And if you know, like, <clears throat> like, the trees on the other side of the road, they're, like, green, right? They're, like, alive, right? And the trees that are no longer connected are, like, like they're not alive, right? They're, they're like, dead. They're, like, brown. They're like brittle. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me, if you stay connected to me, you'll bear much fruit. And God wants you to bear fruit like Daniel did in your place of work. He wants you to bear that fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. You need to be connected to God on a daily basis. Amen? If you're not sure how to do that, let us know. We kind of, sort of, maybe sometimes know how to do that, right? Uh, it's something you have to constantly work at. The next point is to practice for living extreme. Just do it. He said, now you know these things, you'll be blessed if you 
get a coffee mug that says it on it, right? Buy a t-shirt. No, if you do it. Now, he was talking to his disciples in the upper room. He washed their feet, teaching them the principle, hey, you need to be a servant. You need to do what I did. And, and he's teaching us the principle that, that, that knowing is not enough, right? That, that knowing must be connected to our doing in order to receive maximum benefit. And there's four things you just need to do where you work. Number one, do your best. Do your best. That's what Daniel did, right? It didn't matter to him if, if I'm working for Nebuchadnezzar, if I'm working for Darius, if I'm working for the Babylonians, if I'm working for the Persians, I, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be honest. I'm always going to be responsible. Work hard and cheerfully at whatever you do as though you're working for the Lord rather than for people. Do your best. Work hard. Work hard. I think that's pretty clear. But, but also, I, I think people don't work hard anymore that much. You know, they, even believers sometimes live in direct opposition to this. They do just enough to get by. What's the minimum I have to put in and everything is still okay? Listen, it doesn't matter what your job is. Do your best. Work hard. And when you do, you'll be living extreme. Also have a positive attitude. Daniel did, right? I, I love what he says when, he, when the king... And it comes the next day, you know. Long live the king. Are you kidding me? Long live the guy who threw me to the lions. <laughs> Talk about a positive attitude, right? I think he had a positive attitude. Work hard and work cheerfully. 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 Whatever you do. Uh, Paul said this, and it applies to your work of mine, right? Do everything without... Complaining or arguing, right? You know, my experience has been, you know, in a workplace that that doesn't happen all the time. <laughs> that people just love to complain. And a complainer will always find something to complain about, right? The Navy, we say a happy sailor is a happy sailor. <laughs> my brother right there knows what I'm talking about. I can't say that. Uh, but that's what a happy sailor is. Um, I don't know why I even brought that up. Um, you know, negativity spreads like a cancer and breeds negativity. I don't know about you, but I, I, I get worn out by negativity. But you know what? A positive attitude also spreads like a cancer, right? You know, you go to work. You can, don't, don't go to work and be a thermometer. Go to work and be a thermostat, right? You know, don't go, oh, everybody else is mean and happy and happy and miserable. I'm going to be miserable too. Oh, this, this is a terrible job. They don't pay me enough. I wish it was somewhere else. Gosh, I wish I was retiring real soon. No, you go in there, you set the thermostat. Hey, I have a job. I'm able to feed my family. I'm, I, I'm able to put a roof over my head. Okay, positive attitude. Uh, um, next, have the heart of a servant. Daniel had the heart of a servant. That's why he kept rising and rising and rising within the Persian Empire. But he's not the greatest example of heart of a servant. Jesus is. For even I, the Son of Man, came here not to be served, but to what? Serve others. I mean, when you go to work, have a heart of a servant. I mean, look for ways that you can serve. You know, how can you serve your boss, right? Yeah. Yeah. Do a coffee run for him, right? Yeah. How can you serve your other employees? How, how, can, you serve, how can you serve your customers? How, you know, how can you serve people? Go to work thinking, what can I do to serve and help somebody else? Don't keep looking for your own interests, but the interests of others. 
And how do you know if you have a servant's heart? Here's the test. You know that you have a servant's heart when you do not mind being treated like one. That's how you know. Uh, when, you're not treat, when you're treated like a servant, you're like, hey, you can't treat me that way. You know who I am? <laughs> you can't treat me like that. Well, guess what? You don't have a servant's heart, right? You don't have a servant. You don't mind treated like a servant. Jesus became a servant, right? Even to the point of death on the cross. Next, show respect. Again, Daniel modeled this, right? You know, I mean, he comes out of there and, and he just says, and I have not wronged you, your majesty. He referred to Darius as your majesty. He showed respect. And I don't know about you, but from where I stand, I, I think this world needs some more respect. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Right? Suck it to me, suck it to me. Find out what it means to me. R-E-S-E-P-E-C-T. I spelled it wrong. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Show it to your boss this week. Suck it to him, suck it to him. Okay, sorry. Wow. If you're here visiting, I, I got no thing to say. Now Peter said, obey your masters and always show respect to them. But they're idiots. Do this unto those who are kind and thoughtful, but also to those who are idiots and are cruel. God will bless you, even if others treat you unfairly for being loyal to him. See, when you show respect to your boss and he's an idiot or she's an idiot, you're actually showing respect for who? You're showing respect for God. You're being loyal to God. You go, well, I got to treat respect because I want to be loyal to God. Do you think showing respect and being positive and having a servant's heart and doing your best, if you were that way at work, would your boss notice? Would other people notice? You better believe they will. Absolutely they'll notice. And, and now we come to the most important part, the driving force behind it all. See, it's to display God's glory. The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands, right? You see, there are so many people in our community that will never think about going to church on Sunday. How about you? When I drove by my subdivision, lots of cars, I heard lawnmowers running. Uh, I saw cars being washed, right? You know, because Sunday's not the day to go to church. It's the day to go to the lake, go camping, right? Catch up on the laundry, sleep in, do yard work. Besides, most people in the world, they, they found church, you know, it's boring. It's judgmental. Church is intolerant, right? Church is irrelevant, right? And, and so they're never going to walk through the doors of a church at all. Maybe for a funeral or wedding, right? So then, how is the message of God's love going to get to them? God has a plan. God has a plan. Five days a week, 40 plus hours a week, God has his people. People will know him. People will love him. People have been saved by him going to where they are. Uh, rubbing shoulders with people in the world who need to know what we know, who need to experience the love and grace of God. And, and listen, when you, when you decide to see it that way, right? You know, when you decide to live extreme, some amazing things will happen. 
right? Check out, check out what King Darius said as he pulled him out of the lion's den, right? This is a pagan king. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. For he is a living God, and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed, and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heaven and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Right? Some crazy things will happen. Because here, here's the deal. I was talking to a, a friend of mine recently, and we're talking about how, how some people say that being a missionary or a pastor is like the highest calling. Now, I think being a Christian is the highest calling, right? You, know, you see, you don't have to go to China or Kenya to be a missionary. You're already one. Yeah? And when you go to work this week, you're a missionary, right? You know? And the cool thing is, you don't have to raise support, right? You know, your boss doesn't know it, but he's actually paying you to be a missionary at his place of work, right? He's like, that's how awesome is that? Your boss is paying you money, maybe he'll give you health benefits so that you can go there and be a missionary for Jesus Christ. And you know, when I think of the hundreds of encounters that you guys make each and every week at work and at school with lost and hurting people, Encounters with people who so desperately need to experience the love, the mercy, and grace of our God. People need to know that even a world full of chaos, there's a great, good, and powerful king who's seated on his throne and his glory fills the earth. People who right now are facing a crisis eternity but may be just one conversation away from his grace. I get so excited. I get fired up. Because I know that if you allow yourself to be seized by the truth that you are a missionary and that there is a huge and eternal purpose for you being where you are to display God's glory and to draw people to him, some amazing things will happen. I mean, what if each day before you started your work day, you prayed for one? You said, Lord, I don't want to go to work today. <laughs> it stinks, but I'm going. Lord, show me one person that I can show your love to today. And then you started looking. You think it'd make a difference? You think that would change your perspective? You think you're going to rub shoulders with anybody that needs God's love shown to them that day? Every day, right? Uh, Isaiah 6.8 says this, God is looking at a hurting world that has turned from him. Then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. And God looks out at places like Enjik and UVA and DIA and Chick-fil-A and Albemarle High School. I ran out of A's, right? You know, Rutgersville Elementary School, right? Sutherland Middle School. You fill in the blank where you'll be this week and next week, right? God has said, man, there's lost and hurting people there who need my Jesus, who need my love, who will go for me? And God is waiting for you to say, here I am. I'm already there. Use me. Use me where I work to display your glory and change the world for you. 
Would you stand and pray with me? Oh, Jesus, we love you. And God, I thank you for all the missionaries in this room today. God, all the missionaries, Lord, who who you're going to empower, Lord, to, to show your love, to display your glory. God, I pray that you would just revive them, Lord, encourage them. And God, for those who are just struggling, Lord, because it can be hard to be somewhere you don't want to be. God, but I, I pray you would renew their passion and their purpose. And God, I pray this week you will show them. God, you'll give them a glimpse of, of what they can accomplish, where they are for you and, and for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.